future is Mecca. In the previous episode. Of a six meter live mech. The same model my sister had danced in. Through five rounds against some of the world's best pilots, I had triumphed. If Praxa 2230 ever gets a high performance setup, he is going to be untouchable. Let's go celebrate, he said when I told him I had won. Then you might not know the roadhouse even exists. We arrived to a chaos of light and noise on the corner of our street. Drone crash and ultra heavy. It was really wrong what I thought about doing. A few days before my birthday, and it was a money transfer. Hey, happy birthday! called Azalea. It made me grin and roll my eyes at the same time. And the same from me. Has your neighbor's pedigree pig been digging in your oxylon? said Coda. Nah, an ultra-heavy drone, I said. Who am I co-piloting with? No one. You're piloting your own mecha, said Azalea. Don't make me do that. Not for my birthday. If it needs calibrating, it's the only way. You need to keep at it. And how did a drone do that to your yard? I knocked on the baby. It's not like I had a choice. As it carried me up to the cockpit, I told them about last night. It blew their minds. It came right down behind where you're standing. If you climbed down, I bet you could still find pieces of it. You're so lucky. It could have hit your house. I think a big piece hit the yard just there. Good morning, pilot Praxis, said the baby as I sat down. Yeah, it is. Try not to ruin it. My friends let me lead the way out of the street. Looking good, Prax, said Azalea. Baby Mecca is sobering up. It didn't feel that way to me. After yesterday's intense simming in construction mechas and basic mechs, and especially the live mech, the baby felt like a broken hunk of junk. Sure, the arms were maybe a little more in sync, and the feet weren't trying to drift away like bored drones, but it was still janky. I think we can advance a little closer, rather than following him at this distance. I think if you're in group comms range, you're in danger, I said. But even as I said it, I could tell the baby was more stable. So how far are you making me mech this stupid baby? Cake stand. It's not the nearest mech cafe in this direction, but it's the best. Their range of pastries is vast. Almost handmade. My treat. It is your birthday, after all. I've got a cake light. Tell me it's a new one. Not the old one that plays. It's the best! It was the best. In the worst way possible. The music was so cheesy. All old-timey squealing guitars and honking saxophones. Like straight out of the 1980s. The sensor didn't work well so it was really hard to blow enough to make it stop. And, to top it off, it was still loaded with the picture of me from when I was a sad little six-year-old. Azalea refused to change it. It had pictures of all of us from when we were six, and Azalea demanded we use it every birthday. It was a pretty funny tradition, unless you're in the eating place blowing madly into a bowl of green gelatin while all the learners are looking, wondering what the heck you're doing and why is terrible music playing. Just how far does this cake stand? Three kilometers. Ugh. I'm going to need arm surgery by the time we get there. This thing, the Proths, it's like playing four games of tug-of-war at once. Why don't you try talking to it? It has a voice interface. 
Maybe you can tell it what to do. Walk like a normal mecca, you stupid baby, I said. But nothing happened. Coda laughed. See, it doesn't work. Not like that. Be nicer. When I want Mr. Snork to do anything, I talk nice and gentle to him. Mr. Snork was her pet pig. He was just a plain grey pig, not a fancy pure breed like the Osorios had, but it was really smart. I've seen her ask it to fetch her mini-tab. It ran up the stairs to her room and came back holding it gently in its mouth, and all it wanted was a scratch behind the ear. Meccas don't have ears, or, f- or feel scratches. Fine, I'll try again. Walk straight, please. Nothing changed. I was still wrestling with the proths. Start with just little things and talk gently, nicely to it. Talk gently? Meccas don't have feelings like pigs do. They run programs. They have circuitry. Whatever. Okay, baby, I said. I visualized how I wanted to move and then tried translating that into directions that matched up with how I was instinctively moving the prosthetics. Let's just move our feet straight out. That's it. Bring the knees up higher. Keep it all moving straight in front of us. That's it. Hmm. It seemed to be working. The proths weren't resisting so much. Now the arms. First the left. Just a gentle swing in time with the right leg. Now bring it back and bring the right arm forward. Go on, Prax. No one's in calm range. It's worth a try. I am trying. We can't hear it. Well, I'm coaxing it, and it might even be working. I bet it's filtering voice commands out of group comms. It's saving us from the tedium of your control chatter. Your walking's already better. I told you so. It really was working, except it made it hard to hold a conversation at the same time. I coaxed it along, And once it was stepping regularly, and the arms were moving mostly at the right time, I said to it, That's it. Let's just keep this rhythm for now. It worked. The voice interface was smart enough to understand what I meant. I stopped talking. The baby wasn't fighting the proths. It was so much easier. Still a bit wonky, but the strain of wrestling every limb was gone. I was able to talk the baby into walking faster and faster until we were moving pretty close to a normal walking rate. It made for a jerky ride. It felt like I was walking through an earthquake. But it was such a huge improvement, a wave of relief washed over me. Walking to school on Monday would be okay. It wouldn't be a passage of humiliation and embarrassment. If I spent more time coaching and directing the thing, It might even be completely normal by Monday. Then it would just be ugly and dumb looking, instead of ugly, dumb, and clumsy. Cakestan was super busy. There were mechas standing along the ring road. All the mecha ports were taken by 10 and 12 meter mechas. I guess the place wasn't popular with kids. There were only two ports free. They were in a prime spot right next to the road, but they were marked reserved. These must be for us said Coda, striding up to the first one. Figures, said Azalea, taking the one next to him. Sorry, Praxit, you and your little green mecca will have to stand on the street. We'll see you in the lobby. 
like every other Mechaport in New Whitehorse, and everyone on the Earth and the Moon, the Mechaports at Cake Stand weren't designed for short, fat Mechas. I demecked in the street and walked up the stairs like I had arrived in a basic shuttle, while Azalea and Coda docked their Mechas. Their feet never even touched the ground. They strolled from their cockpits along the elevated walkway to the lobby, where they waited for me to arrive. It looks even busier on the inside. Never you mind, said Coda as the server, a blonde woman with a name badge saying Galah, came up to us. Right this way, Mr. Ghosh, she said, and we followed her to a table by a window that faced out over the industrial ring into the wilderness beyond it. Mr. Ghosh, I said. Thanks for making reservations, said Azalea. I didn't, said Coda. He brought his shoulders up and acted like he was studying the menu screen, scrolling past picture after picture of cupcakes. Father bought cake stand recently. Every cake stand is now part of GI. GI stood for Gauche Industries, his dad's company. I guess Coda can now walk into any cake stand in the city, in the world, and get the VIP treatment. So, when I said it was my treat, it is really my father's treat. He said, Praxit, that you deserve to order whatever you like. Shower him in cake, he said. What? Me? Why? Coda stopped scrolling through the menu and looked at me. Because he underestimated you. He underestimated me? When did he underestimate me? Yesterday, during your sim rampage. He lost a lot of money on that final round. He even upped his wager when he saw you were in a live mech. Azalea was astounded. Your father was betting on sims? A little discretion, Azalea. We're in public. Lots of people bet on sims. But that's illegal. It was just a wager between friends. I wasn't as surprised about the betting as Azalea. But I was kind of surprised he was betting against me. It brought back flashes of Dimlord. The players you're up against don't want you to win. That's a given. Having someone you know wanting and hoping you would lose, that just made me feel bad. Turn around the frown, my friend. It was just business. Dad would even wager against me if he thought it would pay. In fact, he has. I've lost many little bets to him. He's very good at winning, like you. That's why he said to shower you in cake. So pick a cake, pastry, anything. My instinct was to order the biggest, most expensive cake I could find on the menu screen. But the guy owned the place. He owned every cake stand. He wouldn't notice. Forget him, I thought. I scrolled past the cupcakes into the full-sized cakes, looking for something we could all share. I tapped on a multi-layered chocolate cake that had thick belts of chocolate ganache between the layers, and even more on top. It was called the Chocolate Overload. Azalea groaned. That is so good and so bad, she said. Why bad? Because I want to finish it and there's no way I can eat a third of a cake. If there's any left, you can take it home. Aw, but it's your cake. It's our cake. Praxit, if that statement has not already given us diabetes, then I'm sure the cake will, said Coda. Excuse me a moment while I go and make sure it's perfect. He left the table. Azalee and I admired the view. I told her about riding out of the city last night and being surrounded by trees. I pointed in the vague direction of the roadhouse, but there's no sign of it or the road from cake stand. Sometimes during flight club, when I'm in a dive and all I can see below is the trees and rocks and creeks flowing here and there, I imagine crashing and just being lost 
and not being able to make it back to New Whitehorse. Then I pull up and there's the city all bright and pretty and my whole body just quivers and shakes it off. You'd be fine. It'd be like an adventure, Veery. You'd live out of your cockpit, catch fish in the stream. It'd be awful. I'd be so far away from everyone. There's not even drones out there. It'd be so lonely and scary. Scary? Nothing can hurt you out there. The only resurrected wolves are on the other side of the continent. Scary because it's so dark and crowded, but just so empty of everything, but trees and trees forever. Trees forever? said Coda, sliding back into his seat. She's afraid of trees. Sounds like she's afraid of forests. I am too. Guess who I saw, sitting at a table over by the kitchen. Are they famous? Not really, but you know them. Do they play Mecross, I said. He was looking so pleased with the game, it made me worried about the answer. No, it's Coop. Good old Coop. Turns out it's his birthday today. Good old Coop. I guess he's okay, said Azalea. 108 and powering onwards. He's celebrating it with Moira, the Invigilator. The way he said Invigilator, I was sure he knew what had happened. I leaned out and scanned the tables in the direction Coda had appeared from. I couldn't see Cooper, but there were walls and booths in the way. I hoped that meant he couldn't see me either. You didn't tell me you were here with me, did you? I said. I could just see Cooper's red, saggy eyes widening at the mention of my name and him turning to the invigilator and going, So, did you look into Praxis 94? No. I don't think guys like to think much about us learners outside of regulation hours. While we waited for the cake, Azalea showed us videos of yesterday's Malay squad competition. Her and Jai and Lashana are so impressive. They did this one final strength move where Jai's yogi mech finished standing on one hand, its left leg pointing straight up, with Lashana balancing on top of it, on her toes upon Jaya's foot, with Azalea's mecha standing on Lashana's upstretched hands. That's impressive, just getting into that position. The thing is, the moment before they hit it, all three of them were in motion, spinning and somersaulting through the air. They each came out of their move, reversed jets and froze, forming that incredible column. And they came second. Definitely a robbery. And in broad daylight, said Coda. He grinned at Azalea. I think I hear my favorite song, he said. I groaned. I could hear it too. And it was getting louder. The guitars, the saxophone. Galah, our server, walked up with the cake, grinning. Azalea's precious cake light on top of it. She must have slipped it to Dakota when I was standing the baby. Customers at the other tables turned to see what the noise was. There was a bit of laughter, a few claps. Galah put the cake down in front of me. It was a full-sized cake, like a wheel of chocolate. On the top, below the cake light flashing fireworks and a picture of little me looking glum with too much hair, were big greeny-brown letters spelling out, Happy Birthday Praxit. Start blowing before our eardrums bleed. I blew and blew and blew into the little ring at the top of the light. Had the thing finally failed? It wasn't stopping. I was getting dizzy. You are 50 this year, aren't you? Azalea laughed. What a mean trick, setting my birthday to 50. I kept blowing and blowing. Every year you need to blow more into the cake light. Then, after you're 50, the lights need less and less blowing. Otherwise, people like Cooper would pass out face down in their cakes. The terrible music cut out. Azalea clapped. 
Half-hearted cheers came from the table behind me. I was either blushing from embarrassment or exertion. I was very specific about the color of the writing. I hope I got it right. It's very appetizing, I said. I hope you're less accurate about the flavor. You will have to taste it, said Coda with a grin. Gala, with a large knife and four quick slices, had a perfect wedge of cake in front of each of us. It tasted amazing, even the awful icing decoration. Cake stand were famous for how delicious and almost handmade all the cakes were. I'm sure it should have blown my mind, except I was still thinking about Cooper and the invigilator. Should I eat fast and try and get us out of here? Should I eat slow and hope they leave before we do? I really didn't want to see them. What was I going to do? I could still see that stupid 94 shooting up like a shuttle out of the chart on Cooper's screen. Toxic, stupid Anu. If only I had other scores that are even close to that. I swallowed cake. It was so smooth and chocolatey. I should be enjoying it, but I couldn't. I needed another good score. There was only one way to get it that didn't involve basic Anu. We ate and we ate. Azalee and I drank bubble tea while Coda ordered a hydroponic coffee. Black. No sweetener. No soy. Mmm, delicious, he said, taking a tiny sip when it arrived. My father says Cake Stand has the best coffee out of all the Met Cafes. I think he's right. Then he slid the cup to the side and didn't touch it again. Azalea rolled her eyes at me. I just grinned and made loud sucking noises with the last of my bubble tea. Then I had another smaller slice of cake. So did the other two. After that, I couldn't help myself. I had another piece, but it was even smaller than the second. I picked up the knife to cut a fourth piece, and Azalea was like, No, you'll be sick! I wasn't going to let that stop me, but just then the cake stopped looking like food and started looking like a lump of chocolate and sugar. I'd had enough. I put the knife down. As soon as we all sat back, stuffed and happy, Gala appeared and took the cake away, returning with it in a pink box. She handed it to Coda, who handed it to me, and I handed it to Azalea. Vivi will love a piece, I said. Vivi was Azalea's little sister. Her family had two kids, but both her parents worked in media in the city. Two high incomes made raising two kids out in the rings easy. No way would Azalea have a yogi mech if they were living on basic. I will also cover the charges for table 115, said Coda to Gala as she was leaving. Tell them it was a birthday gift for me. You're paying for Cooper? That's so sweet, said Azalea. It is sweet, said Coda. But it is also useful. He won't forget it. If I ever have any stream issues, I'm sure he'll be most helpful. That caused me a bit of trouble, him saying that. When we were almost at the lobby and I was getting ready to head down the stupid stairs, I had to say something. You know how you paid for Cooper? You also paid for us. Coda laughed like I'd made a fantastic joke. He put an arm around each of us. Dear Praxit, dear Azalea, if you cannot be generous with your friends, then what's the point? We three Kreshis, all these years between us, I'd pay anything to keep our friendship. It was touching. So touching, Azalea had to step back, swap the cake box from one hand to the other, and punch him in the arm. Stop it! See? He said, grinning, groaning, rubbing his arm. No price too high. We regrouped on the street. What's now? 
How about a visit to the Taz, said Azalea. Prax needs all the calibration time he can get. The truly autonomous zone? It has truly been years since I've been there. If Prax can maneuver around the pits and mounds and fallen trees, he'll almost be ready for the commuter lanes on Monday. The entrance to the Taz was off one of the cut roads that ran through the green belt between the ring road and the industrial ring. We'd passed the cut road on the way to Cake Stand. If you didn't know the Taz was in there, you'd mistake the entrance for just another green belt mecha path. But this path swerved and curved, hiding the side of the Taz from the road. The Taz was a maze of paths through the green belt forest, connecting large open areas of bare dirt. The bare dirt was in piles, and where there are no piles, there are holes, some quite deep. My house would have fit into a few of them. There were also structures made of stacked sink trees, walls, lean-tos, platforms. You never knew what you'd find in the Taz. The local kids were always rearranging it, depending on the games they were playing. In the very middle of the Taz was the main battlefield, as the kids called it. Standing in the center of the main battlefield was Big Tree. Big Tree is still standing, said Azalea. I wonder if you can still see our names. Sink trees grow quite large. They're engineered that way. I'm not sure who engineered them. I know it wasn't Glurk. Maybe it was covered in common stream. I do know the trees were genetically engineered to grow fast, grow huge deep roots, and have super dense wood. Everything about them was designed to suck as much CO2 out of the atmosphere as possible and not release it. They were evergreen, so there was little leaf fall, and the wood was hard and heavy and took centuries and centuries to break down. They're called sink trees because they were carbon sinks. The oil-burning cars and trucks, the coal-burning power plants, the cement they used to make buildings out of, had all been carbon sources in the greed age. The sink trees sucked it all up. They're also clever because they're so dark, almost black, they absorbed a lot of heat. Their bark and leaves were engineered to release that heat at a special wavelength that passed right through the atmosphere and out into space, helping to cool the planet. Even for something as large as a sink tree, Big Tree was really big. It wasn't even a whole tree. It was just the length of its trunk. No one knew who had cut it down or when. The Taz grew around it. It was climbed on and fought over and raced around. Then everyone who played in Taz at the time became obsessed with the idea of replanting Big Tree. Kids were digging a huge hole, going home with their meccas covered in mud from cockpit to toe joints. Coda was one of them. Azalea and I were crammed into his cockpit with him because we didn't have meccas yet. We were there when everybody lined up either side of the trunk and tilted it up. Its end slid into the hole and everybody was running underneath the tree, pushing it up and up until it fell into position. Dozens of kids refilled the hole around the tree, packing in the dirt, stomping it down with their meccas. It was a huge effort. Nothing lasted for long in the Taz, but no one has been able to take down Big Tree. Once it was upright, someone carved a huge 2237 into the tree, and all the kids scratched the names into the tough wood with their mecha fingers. Coda scratched in all three of our names. It was an important monument, the only permanent fixture in the Taz. Coda trotted ahead to Big Tree. I followed, talking the baby through every step. Crossed the holes, over the bits of tree. I caught a glimpse of some meccas down a side path, racing around a pile of logs. We're still here, called Coda over group comms. You complained at the time I was taking too long, Prax, but I cut our names so deep no one can be bothered scratching them off to write their own. I don't recognize many of the other names, said Azalea. New times, new names, said Coda. He stomped around in a circle. 
Not many mechas about. I was expecting it to be full of littlies waging war upon each other. Could it be less popular? Oh, look, there's Davor. Hey, Davor. His name's somewhere on Big Tree, too. I'm not sure about Klaus and Nobu. I froze. Coming out of a side path were the three dark strutters of Davor and his friends. They all reached over their shoulders and pulled their clouts out of the scabbards on their backs, and they broke into a trot and ran straight for us like three dark monsters holding black swords, their screams breaking in over group comms. My impulse was to turn and run, but they would quickly catch up with me and I would have my back to them, unable to defend myself. If this was a sim, I'd be looking for something to wield as a weapon, or to climb for a better position. Or, you know, to run. In a sim, I would be in a mecha that could actually run. Azalea stepped between me and the poppers and put her hands up, fingers held straight, thumbs in tight, ready to jab anyone who got too close to her. It was the same action pose she started a lot of her routines with. Out of the side of my cockpit, I saw Coda move back so he was beside Big Tree. Out of the way, Azalea, said Davor. This isn't about you. Leave him alone, or I'll wreck your mechs. This really isn't necessary. Keep your pretty mecha out of the way, pretty boy, said Klaus, waving his cloud at Coda. Leave him out of this, Klaus. Guys, let's play nice, said Davor. Nobu and Klaus lowered their clouts. Listen, Azza, said Nobu. My name is Azalea. I'm sorry, Azalea. No one's going to get hurt. No mechas are getting wrecked. I promise, see? He stepped forward and put up his empty hand, fingers outstretched, the tip of his thumb and forefingers making an O for OK. Mechas can't cross their fingers, so that's what everyone used for promise. Yeah, promise, said Klaus, stepping forward with his hand, making an O as well. He gave a deep mecha bow, his arm sweeping back. Now if you could just move out of the way, he said and lunged forward, bringing his clout behind Azalea's ankles. Nobu brought his clout up between her outstretched arms, the end of it ramming into her chest plate, knocking her back as Klaus swept her ankles out from under her. She went down fast and went down hard. Davor was stepping over her, bringing his clout down towards my cockpit. I fought the profs, trying to bring the right arm up to block it, but it kept going straight up. I couldn't get it across between my cockpit and the thick length of sink tree coming down. It hit the canopy with a sharp crack. I looked for a broken panel, but everything was intact. He raised up for another blow. Azalea was thrashing on the ground, hitting out and kicking at Nobu and Klaus's legs. Her ribbons were getting crushed into the dirt. A couple were tangled around Nobu's foot, the mounting pegs flying around as he tried to avoid her blows. I had to help her, but the stupid baby had gone unresponsive again. One more Future is Mecca? And want it sooner? Visit patreon.com slash Future is Mecca.